Amen. What a glorious, glorious song for us to sing and put us in the right frame of mind right now to be saying not only with that song, but with the subject matter of the message, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. I must decrease. He must increase. Amen. Amen. Turn, if you would, to John's gospel. You thought we'd never get back there. John's gospel, chapter one. And we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 19. John chapter one and verse 19. And let's come before the Lord and pray together. And as we're doing that, just lean in and ask the Lord to move your heart today so that you'd be gripped by this word. Father, we come before you and we want to acknowledge, Lord, that everything good we have comes from you, Lord. And the supreme answer to every promise of God in all of scripture is a yes in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is everything, that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is Lord. And we come in here saying, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name, we want to give glory. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would fill this room, that you would open every single heart, that you'd be speaking to folks online listening, that you would be preparing and plowing the ground so that your word would fall on good soil and that we would just be strengthened by this word. Father, as we behold the witness of John the Baptist, Lord, may it be a witness to Jesus that we are left with. And I pray, Father, that, that you would help me to move out of the way, Lord. I, I, I want to hide behind the cross. I want to hide behind the Lamb of God and the Son of God as this word is proclaimed and just let Jesus shine among us, Lord, that we would see the splendor and the glory of Jesus as we behold the witness of a man who pointed to him so beautifully and profoundly. And it's in Jesus' name we ask you to do a work and even save somebody in here who might not know Jesus, that you would just remove blindness and draw them to yourself even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you'll remember we spent five weeks at the end of last year and one, one, about one week this year exploring the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. And we, we got a picture of like, we just got hit with a high vision of Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, Right? And he made all things, and there's not anything that was made that he didn't make. And he's the light of the world. Come into the darkness to save sinners. And then we get to that pivotal moment in verse 14 where it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we're just like, we're just at the mountaintop, just seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ. 
And then we sort of transition here in verse 19. And we get a picture of John the Baptist. And it, it clearly reminds us who he is. And it's like John was unfolding the theology of who Jesus is. And now he's going to get to the first testimony in the book about who Jesus is. And so John the Evangelist, the author of the gospel, is going to testify and share about John the Baptist, who gives us the first testimony about Jesus. And we'll look at it and pick it up in verse 19. And I just want to, we're going to see three things as we walk through this text. We're going to see a great inquiry. We're going to see a great not, and then a great witness about Jesus. So let's look at it. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet... And John answered, I baptize with water, but one who stands one, or, or, sorry, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. And even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, that's God. He, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the son of God. And so that last verse just leaves us with the witness of John. John's all about saying, I bear witness concerning the Son of God. I bear witness concerning the Christ. And he's always looking away from himself and he's pointing us to Christ. He's always trying to decrease that Christ might increase. He's always making much of Jesus. He gets the reality that his ministry is preparatory. His ministry is something that's paving the way for a brand new thing, a brand new work of God. So as we walk through this text, 
we need to understand that every single gospel has a record of John the Baptist, who is this like transitional figure bridging the Old Testament and the New. He's like the last great prophet of the Old Testament, little p prophet, giving way to this new thing that God is doing as the kingdom of God arrives in the person of Jesus. And John the Baptist, his whole ministry is to bear witness to that reality. Now, all of Christianity and all that we are as the church are people who have been called out of the world because of a witness. Somebody witnessed to you. Somebody bore witness like John the Baptist and you became a Christian. And then we become witnesses and go out into the world. So the reality of witness and testimony concerning Jesus is front and center in the book of John. And in fact, that's the whole purpose he wrote the book. As one big giant witness to who Jesus is. And so John sort of steps in here. And he's, he's the first person that we start to see a story about unfolding in John's gospel. And you'll notice that it begins with an inquiry, right? Look at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you, man? Like, who are you? And he confessed and he did not deny, but confess I am not the Christ. So you have to understand, like, John and the first century Jews were living in a messianically charged atmosphere. Everybody was longing for somebody to come in and overthrow the Romans. They were longing for a Messiah. They were longing. It had been like 400 years of, like, silence. And all of a sudden, an angelic revelation comes to Zacharias, Zachariah and Elizabeth and tell them that they're going to give birth to a son. And his name will be John. And he's going he's to declare the way. He's going to point the way. He's going to prepare the way for the, the Messiah, right? So John is stepping into the messianically charged scene. And he's drawing people from all over Judea. All over the place. They're coming out into the desert to see him. And of course, that's going to cause a little bit of a stir. Who could he be? This guy's baptizing people and masses of people are coming and they're being attracted to his ministry. So is he the one? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one who's come? Or is this the one we've been waiting for? Or could he be Elijah who was supposed to come before the Messiah? So you got you to kind of step into the shoes of what's going on here. And we're helped if we, if we look to another gospel briefly, that this is what was going on right now in the text. The gospel of Mark reminds us, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And listen to this. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized 
by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So, of course, in our text, verse 19, it says that there's priests and Levites being sent from the Jews, probably the Sanhedrin, which was like the religious leadership or council that were wanting to inquire. They were trying to do their job. Like, is this guy legit? Is it another false Christ that has come? Because many people had come claiming to be the Christ before this, and were not so. And so they're investigating. There's an inquiry being called forth by John's life and John's ministry. And people are just hungry. It's a hungry, hungry day for God to move. And there's this charismatic, wide-eyed prophet dressed like Elijah in the wilderness... And he's baptizing people. And it's like, what's going on, like, what's going on with this? And so they're asking him because they want to know, is he the one who was promised? Is he the one who was sent? Is he the one who was sent to save and deliver Israel from the hands of the Romans? So that's what's going on when we're stepping into this. And we need to understand, like, John's ministry is unique, it's powerful, but it's all about a bold declaration about who Jesus is, and a looking away from self, and a pointing to Jesus, and his ministry is magnetic, to be sure. And one of the things that I, I, I draw from this, and I'm helped by it, and I'm instructed that even though this is the one prophesied of, this is the one who is filled with the Spirit... And leapt in the womb when, when, when Jesus was in the womb of Mary. And, and Mary walks around Elizabeth. And, and John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb. And, and, and John the Baptist is leaping for joy. He was filled, from the, filled with the Spirit from the womb. Right? So there's something special about John. But in the same sense, he is the great witness that's laid out for us here. And his life draws out questions. People are asking him about who he is, what his message is, what is he doing there. And, and I just want us to think about this as a church. Are we living lives, right, that draw people out, that draw questions, that draw inquiries about who Jesus is? Is, is your life being lived in such a way that it's, it's, it's causing people to wonder, what's, what's different about this person? What's, what's going on in this person's life? What's going on in this person? Why are they talking the way they do? Why do they think the way they do? Why is there a joy in their life? Why do they persevere through the most horrendous sufferings? Because Jesus has grabbed a hold of their hearts. And the same was true of John the Baptist. He was provoking a question about the way he was living and the message he was declaring. He was all about the kingdom of God. Jesus would later in the gospel say, seek first the kingdom of God in all his righteousness. And then what? Everything else will be added unto you. That's right. Everything else will be added unto you. When our lives are a great witness and we're kingdom-centered, it begins to draw people out and draw people to inquire about Jesus. And that's just what 
the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. There's an unabashed declaration going on. And so I want us to get courage from John. He's this wild-eyed prophet eating locusts and honey out in the desert preaching the word, and there's a boldness about his life. He wasn't afraid to call people out in their sin and point them to Jesus. He's baptizing people with a baptism of a confession of sins and a baptism of repentance. And he would get thrown into prison later and beheaded because he rebuked Herod for having another man's wife. So this is John, and I want, I want you to kind of drink in a little bit of an introduction to who he is and why he's sort of getting this questioning going on. But John also has a message, not only about what he's a witness of and about, but John is the great not. His life provokes an inquiry, but John is somebody who tells you who he's not. John is somebody who's careful to tell you what he's not, who he's not. And therefore, we're instructed that when the Jewish leaders come asking who he is, the great not comes answering. And look at verse 20 and see what I mean. He confessed, that's John, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Did you see that? I am not the Christ. Well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, he answered, no. So every question they're asking him, he's saying no to. He's saying he's not those things. And half of our witness for Jesus in this world is telling people, there's nothing special about us. It's telling people, I'm just a nobody talking about a somebody who can save anybody who comes to him. Right? We're telling people what we're not. We're not the Savior. Any proclamation that, 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 that is, is declaring a message of salvation that points to self or points to looking inwardly is not the message of the New Testament, nor was it the message of John. He plainly stated, and he states it in this kind of funny way here at verse 20. He confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I'm not the Christ. Isn't that amazing? So from the start, John the Baptist's ministry is just so deferential to Jesus. He has a massive following, but he's just Look to Jesus. Look to the Christ. And now John hasn't been, or Jesus hasn't been fully introduced yet, but he's among them. And John is preparing people to see him. He's coming into the wilderness, and he's coming in with a message, and he's coming in with a message about who he's not, so that it lays open the door for him to declare who Jesus is. Because something radically new, something radically different was coming. And it was right for people to be asking John all of these questions. But we are helped 
in a word about Christian ministry, Christian proclamation, and Christian evangelism to note that we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ. We do not preach a message about how great we are, but about how great he is. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Well, essentially, John is confessing that very thing. And he's constantly directing people back to Jesus. What would your life look like if that was what you were about? You were the great not pointing people back to the great I am. What would it look like if you were the great not pointing people back to the one who is great and glorious, who's come from the father full of grace and truth? That's a powerful spirit-filled sort of life. And we see it, right, all through John's gospel in chapter 1. Look really quick at verse 6 of chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That's the purpose of John's ministry. He wants people believing in Jesus. And then verse 8, the great not. He was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. Then drop down to verse 15. And you have this weird little like bracketed statement in the middle of some of the beautiful, like most pregnant declarations of who Jesus is. You have this word about John. Now, John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And John is saying, there's somebody greater than me. There's somebody so much greater than me, right? There's somebody that, that the distance between me and him is the distance between a man and a maggot. The, Christ is so much greater. He's the Lord of the universe. He spoke the world into existence. He's the one who can reach into hearts and make them new. He's the one who can forgive sins. He's the one who can raise the dead. He's the one who can walk on water. He's the one who can touch lepers and make them clean. And nobody spoke with the authority of this Jesus. And so John is like, hey, I'm just, I'm just a private in the army of the Lord. He's the great commander. Look to him. And that was his whole life and his whole heart. And I just wonder what would go on in our souls if we had more of that happening in our hearts. What a, what a pleasing aroma it would be if the one thing that's known about Smithfield Baptist Church and everybody in this room who's a believer is that we have this sort of aroma about us. It's not about me. It's all about Christ. It's not about how great I am, but it's how great he is. It's not about how I did this week, but it's about my Lord and my Savior and my King. And he is who I declare. Behold our God. Come in the flesh. Manifest before Israel. And the Baptist is baptizing in the wilderness to reveal him to the people. That's the whole point. Come see what's happening because it's not about me. It's about him. And he's the one who can save to the uttermost all who draws near. 
to him. So yeah, they start questioning him. And they start talking to him. And they start asking the Baptist questions. Are you Elijah? I mean, really, are you Elijah? <laughs> because Malachi 4, 5 said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land and with a decree of utter destruction. Behold, Elijah must come and then comes the Lord. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not him. Now, we know from Jesus' words that Jesus saw a little bit more significance to John's ministry than John did because John was said to be the greatest man born of a woman, right, in all of history. There was nobody like John. And yet, of those who are a part of the kingdom of God, you know what Jesus said? The least of these is greater than John because they're born again, because they've been made new, because the spirit of God indwells them and remains on them and because they've been redeemed. And, and, and so John is this sort of prototype. <laughs> he, he, he's doing Christian things before Christ went to the cross, right? But he says, I'm not. Elijah reincarnate. So this, this will help you if you're thinking, well, what does he mean? Because Jesus said he kind of came in the spirit and power of Elijah. But he's not a reincarnation. Elijah was in heaven. John the Baptist is his own person. And he came to prepare the way of the Lord. And he said, I'm not Elijah. And then they ask him, well, are you the prophet? Are you, this, like, are you the prophet Moses spoke of? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Because there was a capital P prophet that was going to come and tell people exactly how to interpret the whole Old Testament and tell them the very words of God with the authority of God. And they were longing and there had been 400 years of silence up until now. And they want to ask John, but, but really, are you this prophet? And John says, no, not me. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, the Lord... Your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and from your brothers. And it is him you shall listen to. So this Moses envisioned prophet that was to come and usher in the kingdom and usher in a new age of redemption. John says, it's not me. Right. In fact, if you drop down to verse 45, we find out who it is. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So John's like, it's not me, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you about him. All right. And that's our job, right? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. The great prophet. Jesus was the prophet, priest, and king who was to come. He's everything the Old Testament pointed forward to. And John's just getting in line saying, check it out. Check it out. 
That's who he is. Among you stands one. He's glorious. And I can't even untie his shoe. I can't even untie his shoe. What a glorious, powerful, amazing ministry John the Baptist had. That's why he closed his ministry saying this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, which is John the Baptist, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that was the ministry of John, and it's the ministry of the apostles, and it's the ministry of every believer in Jesus. And that's why the apostle Paul could testify to that in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, for we proclaim not ourselves, the great not, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And the moment I stop talking like that, you get rid of me. Amen? Because we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim. He is glorious. He is radiant. He is able to save. And all men are men at best. As we learned last week with the story of David. So everything regarding the identity of King Jesus, John deflects and points back to Jesus. And now we look at this positive great witness in some of the closing moments here. That I want us to just like, I just want you to be floored. If you, not, if you weren't helped by the, the invitation or the inquiry, if you weren't helped by the great not, be helped by the great witness of John the Baptist. So look at it here in verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? They got to give an account. You know, they can't go back empty handed. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And he answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. And even though he comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So now you start getting John unfolding a little bit about who he is. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. Listen, Jesus or, or, or the New Testament says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or God, that'll work, but Christ specifically. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And if the voice speaks about Christ, then life can break into human hearts. And John is a voice crying in the wilderness. He's the one that Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 40 that Caleb read earlier. He's the one who was preparing the way. And in those days, when a king was coming into a town, what would happen was 
people would level out all the bumpy road. They would level it out and make sure it was smooth and straight and that fit for the king to come and enter. So he's saying, here he, here he, the king is coming. Get ready. The king has come. And he's announcing the arrival of the most powerful being in the universe, who is God and man. And by the end of it, he's going to say, behold the lamb and behold the Son of God. But this witness is saying, I'm a voice. Beloved, we need to be a voice in this dark, dark world, right? The voice came in the middle of the wilderness. The wilderness has always been a symbol of sin in the Bible. The voice comes in the middle of the wilderness. If you're in a wilderness right now, you go like, I'm in a wilderness and I need the voice. And John the Baptist was the voice proclaiming, make ready, make his paths straight. And then he preached a message of repentance. And you got to envision this little wily prophet coming in and telling all of Israel, you have forsaken your God. You have forsaken your God. You have committed idolatry. You have been turning away from the Lord. And you need to repent and get ready. And maybe, maybe the Lord is saying that to you today. Behold, the voice crying in the wilderness. And John is a fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy about someone who was to come. That's glorious. Make straight the way of the Lord. This isn't just some new prophet. This is the Lord himself who will come in to Jerusalem. And when we celebrated Palm Sunday, all that John the Baptist was proclaiming and announcing was being fulfilled that very day. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Now I want to leave us with two more images about Jesus that John lays, for, lays out for us. Verse 29 says he's the Lamb of God, and verse 34 says he's the Son of God. So let's look at that right now. First, the Lamb of God. Verse 29. The next day... He saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, you got to imagine this. Jesus is walking towards him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That may be the greatest announcement of hope that we have seen yet in the Gospel of John. Behold, the one who can actually deal with our sin problem. And he's a lamb. A lamb is coming. The lamb is walking by you. The lamb of God is walking by you. And all sorts of imagery would be evoked, right? All sorts of imagery from the Old Testament, from the Passover lamb, which would be, the blood of the lamb would be put on the doorposts of the people of Israel so that the angel of death would pass over and judgment would not fall on Israel. Or when you go back and you read the account of Abraham where God says you need to offer your only son whom you love up to me. 
You remember the account of Abraham and Isaac dutifully going up the mountain. And they've got the wood and they've got the fire. But where's the sacrifice? And these powerful words are said about this lamb that may be Isaac at the moment. Listen to how Genesis puts it. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And the name of that mountain would be called on the mount the Lord hath provided. And on that very mountain, thousands of years later, another lamb would be hung on a tree for the redemption of a people. Behold the lamb of God. There's no salvation apart from it, right? What does the lamb do but take away the sin? What does the lamb do but bear the wrath we deserve for our sins? And later in John, he's going to tell us that very thing. What's the problem? Why does the lamb need to come? Well, John 3.36 tells us, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the son does not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Beloved, listen, the greatest problem of humanity is the wrath of God for their sins. That's our greatest problem. And so when John comes onto the scene and he looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, there is finally something that can be done about our sin. Because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. That was a temporary measure pointing to the one final sacrifice that would be for the redemption of a people and would actually take sin. And that's what the whole New Testament picks up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Or as the Apostle Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And for you were straying like sheep and now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's what the Lamb of God came to do. And that is what the great witness is pointing to. Behold, the Lamb of God. That's half the equation. Because the Lamb is also the Son. And the Son is also the Lamb. So look at verse 32 and we'll close it out here. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he sent me to baptize with water, said to me, he on whom the spirit descend and remains, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then here's the crescendo. And I have seen and I bore witness that this is the son of God. It's not enough to believe Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God who can take away your sins. You must believe he's the son of God. Very God of very God. Very man of very man. God in the flesh. 
come to redeem a people. Emmanuel, God with us. And John wants us to get right from the start that his witness both holds up the Lamb of God as the Son of God who's come to actually save people from their sins. So, beloved, John's life provoked an inquiry as to who he really was. And he was the one who pointed to Christ. He was the great not, and he was the great witness. And he pointed to those twin realities that Jesus is the Lamb of God and the Son of God. And when you bring those things together and you lay hold of them, salvation comes into a life. And there's transformation. And anybody, anybody who believes that the Son of God became the Lamb of God and died on the cross for them and rose out of the dead to give life to all who will believe will be saved. So if you've come in here today and you're discouraged freshly about your life, you're discouraged freshly about where you're at, this Son and this Lamb and this great witness to the Lamb and the Son reminds us who we are. We are witnesses who have had the kingdom of God break into our hearts through our trust in Jesus and the Lamb opened us up to all the redemptive blessings of God and our lives have been renewed and now we take that message as bold witnesses into the world and we ask, Holy Spirit, come upon this church. Come in power. Send us out as missionaries and emissaries and ambassadors for Jesus into the world, into a dark place with a message. That is who John was and that is who the church to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great knot and this great witness. And Lord, just work that into our hearts. Lord, work that into every grain and fiber of our being. And Lord, whether we're discouraged in here today and we just needed a word about the gospel or whether we're needing motivation to go share the gospel in a dark world, I pray, Lord, that we would get the medicine we need. And that you would send us out as laborers. We pray for laborers to go into the field and work the harvest. And we ask God that many, many more would come to know Christ. If there's anybody here today and you're just needing a word. You're needing encouragement. You're needing the hope of the gospel. I just want to encourage you. Come up as we close our time here in song. Father, I pray that you would minister to us and breathe upon us as we sing this song that we would soar in the melody and glory of gospel goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.